It is a true privilege to welcome a very special guest radio legend who went from sports guy in Boca to morning drive on the most iconic talk show on the planet, the legendary Sid Rosenberg. And Sid is here to talk about his trip to Israel, upcoming trip. Sid, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for, for having me, Josh. And, um, you know, you just talked about it. I, I, mean, I think some of the adjectives you used to describe me were very nice. But um, the epic trip to Israel, and to me it's even more special because as a Jewish male who have good to me, I'll be 57 years old in April, and a guy that clearly is a pretty big voice inside our community. I've never been to Israel. So this pilgrimage, if you will, unfortunately, it took tragic events of October 7th to finally get me there. But uh, even with all that's going on and tension, me, my family, my producer, we're all looking forward to spending a great week in Jerusalem. Right, and of course, yeah, Dove Heikind, and I know how big a force he has been. And he's I've been trying to get this interview with you for two years, as you know, because I've even spoken with you about it. And finally, Dove Heikind makes it happen in like 10 minutes, snapping his fingers. But listen, I got to appreciate you've been a fearless and staunch. I really am not exaggerating, and I'm not trying to pander. Uh, fearless, I pander a little bit, but not really. Staunch supporter of Israel, and you're a proud Jew. And you and your family, I know you mentioned to me that you're actually with your son right now, Gabriel, so maybe we get 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 him on for a minute. But, uh, you, you know, this trip is so meaningful to Jews and non-Jews alike, not just the trip. The trip is a culmination of you for months being so fearless and so vocal and saying things a lot stronger than a lot of people who are, you know, conventionally considered pro-Israel. Well, again, I thank you for saying all that, uh, Josh. I, you know, look, I'm a regular guy. That's all I am. I, I am far from the most religious uh, you've ever met. In fact, um, over the years, I used to joke that growing up in Brooklyn, New York, during the Saturday Night Fever era, I really wanted to be John Cooper's character, Tony Manero, and I was angry with my parents that I was Sidney Ferris Rosenberg about to get married when my Italian friends at Polly Pepper already driving Jaguars and going to nightclubs in Bay Ridge. And I kind of <laughs> joked about that for years, and and then I started acting a couple of years ago, and I've gotten four which is a lot, actually, considering, you know, acting was shut down between COVID and the actor's strike. All four roles. I play a mobster, an Italian mobster. <laughs> and uh, it was like it was like a dream come true for me. And and not that long ago, I joked about it again, how, you know, Dan Marino was all my friend's favorite quarterback because he was a good-looking Italian kid. And then October happened, and I, I created, I, I cut a video the very next morning, uh, October 8th, it was a Sunday, and, you know, the Mets and Giants don't play each other all that often. Maybe once every five years, that's it. And there's a lot of anticipation about a regular season matchup between the Jets and the Giants, and it just so happened that Sunday, October 8th, the day after the tragedy in Israel, the Jets played the Giants. And I remember cutting a video from my room chair at about 7.30 Sunday morning, telling my listeners and fans that, this big game is here this afternoon, and I just don't care. I just can't seem to be get myself interested in anything else. I can't think about anything else. I'm just overwhelmed. And this was just a day after we found out what happened. Of course, the last couple months, we found out even more atrocities and horror. But one day later, I could no longer enjoy a lot of the stuff I had enjoyed for years. And it occurred to me that not only am I a proud Jewish guy, now i got to step it up because... I've got this huge voice. I've got a four-hour show, which does very well in the ratings. Let's be WABC, led by John Katzmatidis, Marco Katzmatidis, and Chad Lopez. Number one radio show. A lot of listeners, Jews and non-Jews. And here's my opportunity to tell the world that, A, I'm Jewish. 
B, we care about the Jews in New York, around the country, and around the world. And C, if I can get to Israel, I'm going to get there. And I think all three of those things have come to fruition. It's really incredible. And I was not aware of a lot of this. And I've heard a lot of you talk about a lot of these things, but the impact that it has had. And so to describe, and especially, you know, I do know you're into the, the mobster stuff and the Italian stuff and everything. But to this extent, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Because you look, you did grow up in Brooklyn and you grew up with a strong traditional Jewish identity. You know, your parents, your father was a proud Jew. Your mother is a proud Jew. You spent summers in the Catskills. I know you had a bar mitzvah. I know when you were honored and we'll get to this hopefully in Rabbi Blumstein's shul and Dove Heiken's shul a few weeks ago. You were very proud of the fact on the radio that you knew how to say the brachas, how to make the blessings and, and get the aliyah. And uh, so you do have that background and you do have that upbringing. It's not like you grew up in Kentucky. So Tell us how that kind of fit and, you know, how you, I guess, moved away from that and then came back to that. Well, my dad, you mentioned my late father, Harvey. He grew up in uh, Coney Island and he was somewhere between conservative and orthodox, you know, very, very Jewish, uh, maybe even closer to orthodox. My mom was a reformed Jew. And I grew up in a household, Josh, that celebrated both Christmas and Hanukkah. Hanukkah came along. I went to my father's parents in Coney Island to light the menorah. Christmas, my mother's family came over and we hosted the biggest Christmas Eve party in Brooklyn. Picture 1975, 1990, 250 people showing up at the Rosenberg house for a Christmas Eve dinner. My mother and sisters making traditional Italian dishes, a piano, the adults upstairs, wow. a DJ in my basement apartment downstairs. And people would leave the party, the non-Jews around 11.30 that night to go to midnight mass for Christmas and wow. come back to continue the party. It was, it, was, it was crazy because I celebrated everything. But, again, high holy days, we were in shul. My father, in fact, became the chauffeur bosom late in his life and uh, spent about 10 years doing that. So we went to shul, Pesach. We always got together, had beautiful seders, mostly down in South Florida, living out of Brooklyn, New York. So the major holidays, we, we became very religious, very. And then the rest of the year, we just weren't. You know, we just weren't. I didn't celebrate Sukkot, you know, or Shemini, etc. or all these other holidays. It was Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. First couple nights of Passover, yes. But by night three of Passover, I was done with matzah eating go parmesan. So uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a little bit of, of everything. And, um, but it was there. The Yiddish was there. I went to Yeshiva. I went to Ocean Primary School in Canarsie up to the fifth grade. And then uh, once Polly Prep didn't work out, I spent the last three years of my high school career that is now defunct, but was the Brooklyn location for Solomon Schechter High School. So there I was in the 10th grade taking Talmud, taking Chobash, doing four hours of Hebrew a day as a, uh, as a high school student. So Mishkite was there. I spoke a little Hebrew. I understood Hebrew. I can read from the Torah. I can go to shul and, and um, be just about as good as anybody else. But on a daily basis throughout the year, I was far from your most religious Jew, but the Yiddishkeit was always in my heart, always. And, and I got to tell you, it shines through. I mean, when you're saying give me the chills, because talking about, you know, being in yeshiva, as late a point in high school, you're talking about Yiddishkeit and, you know, Chumash and, and, and Talmud, you're, you're using terms that are part of, you know, the, the inside club. So you're somebody who we connect with on such a, a, an incredibly deep level. By the way, and you have a great heart. I, like I mentioned, I met you a couple of years ago. I've like 
stalked you a couple of times and I text you. You respond to me. You don't need to. You don't you don't you do things. You care about people. Uh, and, uh, you know, which is something Jews and non-Jews do alike. But there's something very special. And and uh, again, here we go at the pandering. Don't make fun of me too much. You had a really interesting exchange with uh, Joe Benigno. I got to mention uh, that I heard today, yesterday about your trip to Israel. He was going on and praising you. By the way, he was acting like you're kind of like Mahatma Gandhi. Like, wow, I can't believe Sid Rosenberg is going to Israel, which it's it's a pretty cool thing. But like, you know, to Jews, it's like, all right, we go to Israel even now that it's a. But he said, he said, how can you let your wife and kids go? And at first you're like, well, Joe, who wears the pants in the family? But then when he pressed you yeah. on it, yeah, it was really funny. Then when he pressed you on it, you're like, Joe, like my son takes the train in New York City and, you know, this is Israel. I want my kids to be there. So tell us a little more about that. Well, look, I, you know, it's 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 one thing, like you say, for the Jewish people. Uh, you know, I remember going back to 9-11. I was, I was here 9-11. We lived in Chelsea, my wife and I, 21st Street, Maple Avenue. And when those buildings crumbled, the smoke actually entered the windows in our apartment building. And then I was working at WFAN doing sports talk radio, but they canceled all the sports talk. They just had Imus on all day and then Mike and the Mad Dog. Right. And there was no sports talk at all. They just talked about 9-11. So my days were now free. And I used to walk to the West Side Highway every day and root on all the cops and firefighters as they were driving down to the to the World Trade Center, hoping to recover bodies. And, of course, as we know, they recovered really none. Right. Uh, those were my days. But, but I remember going down to Florida not long after when I got fired here. And and I, I remember the first time I talked about 9-11, the Floridians got very angry with me. They said, why do you act like it was yours? I said, I don't. I said, I understand people died in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I understand people died in the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. I understand that in Boca people cared, in Mississippi they cared. But 3,000 died in my neighborhood. I smelled the smoke. I could hear those fire alarm beepers going off for weeks. Don't tell me it's not more personal for me. It just is. And I feel the same way about October the 7th. It's more personal. If you're Jewish, it is more personal, bottom line. But, but it has become really warming for me to see non-Jews react the way they do. And Joe Beningo is one of those guys. There's not an ounce of Jew in him. <laughs> this guy's as Italian as a guy. <laughs> And he, he genuinely cares about the Jewish people, what Israel is going through. But yes, the, the, uh, maybe it's a misconception, but folks who are here really think it's still very dangerous. You know, I've got friends like Dolph Hyken. He goes there. He's been there three times since and others who go, you're probably safer here than on the subway in New York. I'm, I, I think they may be exaggerating. I don't know. There have been terrorist attacks at bus stops in Jerusalem and, and other places, uh, not daily, but it has happened. So it's not out of the question that something terrible can't happen. And there is a war going on in the North and the South, let's be honest. So, you know, the, the, the folks that are here go, whoa, wait a second, what are you doing? Your daughter's 19, your son is 15. Is this the time? And my answer is always the same. This is the time, you know, and not because I want to be in a war-torn region, not because, uh, you know, Mr. Tough Guy, I want to come back and say I survived it because... Again, I'm going to be in a place that's relatively safe, but after what we've been through the last couple of months, this is the time for any Jew who has not been to Israel to make their way there. So despite what some people think uh, may be a dangerous time and not the time to go, 
I really believe this is the perfect time to go. Yeah, and I really admire what you're saying and connect. And I lived in Queens during 9-11. I suffered PTSD. I didn't even realize, but for weeks I had, like, major anxiety. And that was the reason, and we, we finally figured out. My wife was in Brooklyn working. She saw smoke coming out of the towers. So, yeah, no, there's a, a connection there that nobody could really describe. Again, you know, the people who were there and the firefighters, all those people, I mean, it's unimaginable what they went through. But but you're right about having that personal connection. Dove Hiking gets on a plane a, a three or four days or a week after. He, he says to his wife, I got to go. And he just goes. And he spent like three weeks there alone without even his family, just like buying dinner for, for, for random soldiers in the street. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the and, and so I so appreciate I, 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 as a Jew, as a as a fellow Jew, as you know, somebody who you, you, I look at you as a representative, like you said, take you could have taken your platform and said, all right, you know, I'll play it cool. I'll, I, I'll mention it. I'll talk about it. Uh, like you've said things that other people I think are, are, are honestly afraid to say. And the truth, I want to get into the politics for a minute, because some of the things you say are so on on target, everything you say. But like Joe, you know, Joe Biden, you have said like a million times. President Biden is complicit, uh, you, you, know, you know, the billions to Iran. He still won't designate. He designates the Houthis as the terror group, but like the mild kind of terror group and like on and on. And now he's pressuring uh, Bibi Netanyahu, you know, for like a very long ceasefire. So, and, and you asked one of your guests, I don't remember which one, you know, is Biden complicit? And they like kind of hedged, you know, and Hammond and Hart. Like, like, tell me honestly, I mean, why is Biden, he's getting a pass even from Israelis. Well, I mean, first of all, most Jews are Democrats anyway, you know, so uh, which I don't understand, because yeah. at the risk of uh, repetition, the greatest president, I know uh, Jewish people are necessarily one issue voters, right? It's not just about Israel. If uh, everybody voted just about Israel, then Donald Trump would get or should get should get 100 percent of the vote because oh, there's yeah. never been a president, including Reagan, better to Israel than Trump. He, he was the guy, if the six presidents promised to do it, he did it. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He recognized the Golan Heights as part of Israel. He put the Abraham Accords together, which was an unbelievable deal that him and Jared Kushner did with Saudi Arabia. He stopped delivering pallets of cash like Obama did before, and Biden has done since to the Palestinians and Hamas and Iran. He stepped on their neck and cut off their supply. So in terms of Israel, there's never been a better, a better president than Donald Trump. That's why I think it's a disgrace, an absolute disgrace for any Jew not to vote for Trump in this upcoming election and vote for a guy like Joe Biden, who's a double-talking, backstabbing liar. On one hand, he says he cares about Israel, but like you said, he has asked Netanyahu time and time again for pauses and ceasefires. He is the guy that uh, most importantly has funded this war. You know, first Barack Obama in that administration with, with giving Iran all that money and that ridiculous Iran deal that Obama and Kerry put together. And then uh, this administration as well, uh, not just with the six billion dollars that he uh, was giving to Iran just a couple of months ago. But really where it com- what it comes down to is loosening all the sanctions. Donald Trump had his foot on the Iranians' necks. They did nothing. They did nothing. In fact, he blew up Soleimani. Soon as Biden takes over, they start making tons and tons of money selling oil to China. Billions and billions of dollars. They didn't even need the money the U.S. gave them back a couple of months ago to do these attacks. They had it already because Biden loosened the sanctions, never paid attention, and basically wanted to be friends with Israel and Iran who are neck in, at each other's necks, especially Iran and Israel, to destroy uh, our country. So he's a backstabbing, double-talking liar. Uh, his uh, Anthony Blinken is 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 no good. Lloyd Austin is no good. Milley is no good. And uh, the Jewish people need Donald Trump back in that seat. Not 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 today, not tomorrow, but yesterday. So um, that is my frustration. 
you know, you, that, that there are still people out there that say Biden's a friend of the Jews. Just because he says it on Fox News for three minutes doesn't mean anything to me. His actions, especially when he's treated Iran in not one but two administrations, says to me, Joe Biden is not a friend of the Jews. You're so spot on. And by the way, 95 percent of our audience on Vin News is pro-Trump because the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, definitely recognize and, and appreciate it more than you know. My audience, and I get feedback like crazy, and I get everything you're saying. If you if you have time, and, and you're so spot on, it's amazing. I have two questions, two more questions, if you have another couple of minutes, and I really appreciate the time. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you were honored by Dov Heikenschul, Rabbi Blumstein. So I actually know Rabbi Blumstein for a, for a long time in Hewlett uh, a few weeks ago, and you talked about it afterwards. Um, it, it just, it gave me the chills. So just tell us about, uh, describe, the, you know, that experience. Well, it was amazing for me because it was, um, it took me back to my childhood with my father. You know, that is a uh, an orthodox uh, shul. You know, men and women don't sit with each other. Uh, something that I haven't done for many years. You know, when I've got the shul, over the last couple of decades, you know, I sat with my wife, my mom, my sister. So this really took me back to like circa 1975 in, in Brooklyn. And, um, and the rabbi was, was just magnificent. In fact, I'm going to see Rabbi Bloomstein and his beautiful wife, Mimi, in Israel next week. They're there right now. Wow. Uh, Dove hiking. And the beauty of this, too, was that the Five Towns has a lot of big-time synagogues. And they've got great attendance on Saturday mornings for Shabbos. And a lot of these men actually... Uh, for, did not go to their synagogue in their town and said they took the walk over to Hewlett so they could be, uh, or wouldn't you, whatever it is, so they could be at Dove Hikins, uh synagogue that day. So I met people from all five towns, from Cedarhurst, from Lawrence, from Woodmere, you name it. And it was just an unbelievable welcoming for me and my wife, Danielle. They were just, it was just unbelievable. And then, of course, uh, once the services were over, I forgot the Leah, which was a big deal. Which I did read in Hebrew, and I shocked Dov Heiken. Uh, they allowed <laughs> me to speak at the uh, at the Kedush afterwards, which was great. And then uh, we took a walk that day. It was chilly, but uh, wasn't awful yet. We walked that day from the shul to Rabbi Bloomstein's house, where about ten of us, including an old friend of mine for forty five years, Gene Stevens, cop here in New York, former cop here in New York City, actually had a uh, a wonderful lunch at the rabbi's house. And, uh, and it was there, right there at that lunch at the rabbi's house, where the idea was born to make a trip to Israel. Rabbi Bloomstein said, you got to go. Dov Heiken said, you got to go. And that's where the idea was born, at that lunch in the rabbi's house. So I contacted my dear friend Yehuda Hanikman, who's a former New Yorker living in Israel now for about 12 or 13 years. He became funny with me and Danielle about five or six years ago um, through tennis with my daughter Ava. And he has been calling the show periodically since these tragic events. And he uh, started to look for people who would help fund this trip. And he found a terrific organization, One Israel Fund. They uh, put up uh, the money. And uh, thanks to the hard work of Yehuda Hanikman, the idea of Dove Hiking and Rabbi Bloomstein, and, um, you know, my resilience to get there. Now we've got a beautiful trip to Israel coming up in a couple of days. Amazing. Amazing. All right. My last question, I think, uh, is a radio question. I've been desperate to ask you this forever. And that is you made you are an excellent sports talk show host. And I used to listen to you on FAN years ago. You made the transition, the unlikely transition from sports to politics. But it goes deeper. I'm a student of radio. I, I listen to you on I listen to IMIS forever. And uh, I, I even interned there. But that's story for a different day. Before your time, and uh, you made the transition. It's more than transition. You've evolved. You, your, your ability to conduct an interview. 
your command, your command, your presence on the radio, the way you work the microphone, it has evolved in, immensely. And, but but the, really the transition of to politics, was that scary? I mean, is that something, because you did it really flawlessly, and I just want to hear some, some more about that. I got to tell you, I love you. I really do love you. This is, uh, no one, no one conducts an interview like you. You, 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 you couldn't be uh, nicer, more complimentary. And I learned from you. I learned from you. I appreciate it. Now, look, it's actually, and I make that point all the time, that talking sports and talking politics, basically the same thing. You know, just substitute Donald Trump for the Giants or substitute <laughs> Joe Biden for the Rangers because you get the same thing. You know, you get these people that are just uh, just wacky, crazy enthusiastic about their candidate or their team. Then you get the folks like Joe Beningo where everything's a disaster, everything's a tragedy about their candidate or their political party or their team. Uh, but the passion uh, is pretty similar in both. So uh, I don't think it's um, it's a miracle I was able to do this. And I'm not the first. Keith Olbermann did it before me and one or two others. I mean, certainly very few have had the radio success in as many markets as I have talking sports and politics, especially Really having this breakthrough year politics here in New York, I think that's where I kind of beat Oberman and the rest of these guys. But I maintain that sports and politics on the radio, very, very similar. Of course, you got to know your stuff. Uh, people uh, will tune you out and people will not uh, deem you credible. You know, sports is one thing. You get away making crazy statements and, you know, people don't mind that. Sometimes on WFAM, they have to do that just to, just to yeah. keep people's interest because, yeah. you know, what else do you talk about? Yeah. In politics, you know, you better be sharp. You could be opinionated, you could be a little wacky, but you better be sharp. So there's more pressure, I think, to be to be smarter. Maybe that's not the right word, but I'm going to use it to be smarter when you're talking politics. But the passion and enthusiasm, very similar for both. Okay, absolutely. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay, this has been amazing. Like I said, the legendary Sid Rosenberg, host of the morning drive show on the iconic WABC, Sid. This has been a pleasure, a privilege, and like I said, your trip to Israel, you and your family, you should be safe, you should be healthy. I guess I should just quickly mention, keep me in mind, if you have like an hour that needs to be like filled at WABC on a Sunday or whatever, uh, I'm here. You have my number, but uh, really, I I, I wish you an incredible amount of a a safe trip and a successful trip, and I have no question, no no doubt that your family is going to grow and going to come back, you know, a, a different type of family in a good way. Well, that's what I keep hearing. I mean, everybody that I've spoken to about Israel says the same thing. They said that this will not be the first time. Uh, they said once you go there, you're never the same. And, and especially after what transpired October the 7th, I think so much more at stake. And I, uh, I will be taking tours, taking me down to the south. I'll be going to that specific kibbutz. I'll be going to the music festival. So you know, the, the life-changing, life-altering possibility, I think, now becomes uh, even exponentially more than just an, a regular trip to Israel any other time of the year. So it's, um, you know, this trip is met with uh, with uh, tremendous excitement, but at the same time, a little nerve-wracking and and uh, anxious and, and fully aware of uh, what I'm going to see. And hopefully me and my producer and my family can handle it because it's... Um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But uh, as a Jew, as an American, and as a decent person, I think it's time to go. Yes, I hear that. And it, yeah, it is powerful. It is emotional. And uh, and and as a member of the Jewish community, the from Orthodox Jewish community, where we really appreciate everything that you're doing. The great Sid Rosenberg here on the Vin News podcast.